Conventional wisdom says you've got a good rental deal if your rent equals 1% of the purchase price. Sure, go ahead and do that, but it's a dangerous smokescreen that could thrash your portfolio. I'm Brian Ellis. I'll tell you exactly why right now in episode 128. You're listening to Self-Directed Investor Radio, America's only podcast exclusively for affluent, self-directed investors, where each day of the week you receive innovative investment strategy and deadly accurate market analysis that's untainted by Wall Street and unblemished by government propaganda, all in seven minutes or less. Coming to you now from iTunes, Stitcher, and SDIRadio.com, here's your host, Brian Ellis. Hello, SDI Nation. I'm still sounding awful, but starting to recover from my bout with pneumonia and bronchitis, thankfully. And you know what? There's nowhere I'd rather be than right here with you on the podcast of record for savvy, self-directed investors like you. So I had an interesting experience recently that I want to tell you about. I had a great rental property investment available, and I called one of my clients who had expressed an interest in acquiring new cash flow deals. Her name is Kathy, and she's a very smart lady. So when she rejected the deal I offered to her rather abruptly, I was surprised. Why'd she reject it? Well, she has a rule. Her rule is that she only wants rental properties that collect rent that's equal to at least 1% of the purchase price of the property. So in other words, if she pays $100,000 for a house, she wants to collect rent of $1,000 per month from that house. Now, for the sake of simplicity, let's call that the 1% rule, okay? Now, before I go on, I'd like to say that Kathy is smart enough that I have no doubt that she has criteria beyond just that one. And so, Kathy, if you're listening, please be aware that this is not a response to you, as I'm, I'm well aware that your evaluation criteria is much more substantive than just that one rule alone. I know you're a successful investor, and I certainly do respect your opinion. But your response absolutely set me to thinking about that criteria, because that criteria is such a common notion and one that's accepted as gospel by so many people. But is it really a good guide? Well, if that's the primary factor in your evaluation process, the answer is no. It's a terrible standard, and I'll prove that to you right now. Imagine you have a house that you bought for $100,000 and that you are, in fact, collecting $1,000 per month in rent. Well, that's great. It's a good foundation to start from, but let's throw in a few very real-world considerations. Let's imagine that house is 50 years old. It's structurally sound and should last many more years, but it's old. Isn't it likely that a house that old will likely require significant repairs or upgrades during the course of your ownership? The answer is yes, absolutely. Even if those issues aren't yet apparent, it's the nature of older property that these risks are more frequently realized than with newer properties. You ever heard of that website called Angie's List? It's designed to help people find high-quality service providers in their local areas. Well, according to them, the actual average cost of replacing a roof for their customers has been in the eleven dollars to $12,000 range. And just like that, an entire year of cash flow is gone. Same deal with air conditioners. I know this one all too well as we've got to replace one of the three units in my family's home. Pricing for that covers a wide range, around a low of $3,000 up to $10,000 or more. And I'd say that $4,000 is a reasonable average for one unit. And poof, just like that, another four months of rental income disappears. Now, folks, we all know that there's no way to absolutely prevent those kind of issues. But is it rational that you're less likely to have those problems by purchasing newer, high-quality homes versus very old homes? Of course it's rational, and it's a great way to show respect for your capital. But those kind of issues, as expensive as they are, well, they may never materialize, and that's why it's so easy to ignore those risks and move forward with overly simplistic judgment criteria like the 1% rule. So what are some other factors that may render that standard as impotent and maybe even dangerous? Well, there are two expense factors that you'll always have to think about without exception. Those factors are insurance and property taxes. And here's the thing, my friends. Where you buy property has a huge effect on those expenses. Here's what I mean. CBS News tells us that nationwide, the average property tax bill is about $2,000 a year. 
but certain states have consistently and substantially higher property taxes, and that expense comes straight out of your rental income. In New Jersey, the average property tax bill for homeowners is 3971 per year. That's two grand per year more than average, equating to a reduction in your monthly cash flow of $166 a month. That's a huge drop, and you take that hit every month. Texas is another good example. Honestly, Texas is a better representation of the real issue here because I don't see a lot of people clamoring for property in New Jersey, but there's a lot of excitement about Texas real estate. The average property tax bill in Texas is $3,327. That's over $1,300 a year more than average, equating to a drop in your net rental income of over $110 a month. As an alternative, look at Alabama, which is actually a pretty interesting market. Average property taxes there are $752 a year. And that happens to be one of those markets where you can still get a strong rent-to-value ratio. Another example is this. I've got a deal in Arizona right now that's a great deal, though the rent it collects is not equal to the 1% rule. But you know what? It's a great new property in great condition, and its property taxes are a measly $683 a year. My friends, focusing on the top-line number is short-sighted. The top line is the amount of rent that you collect. What really matters is the bottom-line number, the amount you get to keep. I'll make more money on that deal in Arizona where the top line is lower than it would be if the same house was purchased in Texas. And that's because the expenses are far, far lower. I get to keep more of the money. Same sort of issue exists for two other areas as well, insurance and legal compliance. Some states simply are more expensive than others for buying hazard insurance. The national average is $1,034 per year, but in Florida, the average is double that. The average in Texas is 50% higher than the national average. So unfortunately, Texas has very high expense ratios for both property taxes and hazard insurance. Very similar stories for Oklahoma and Mississippi too. Bottom line, it's all about the bottom line, not the top line. The amount you collect in rent is definitely critical, but here's the harsh reality. The deal I've got in Arizona will cost about $1,200 a year for both property taxes and insurance. Same house in Texas costs over $4,800 a year, $400 a month for taxes and insurance. That's a bottom line net advantage of over $300 a month for the house in Arizona that collects theoretically less rent on a monthly basis. Which one of those deals is more profitable? The answer is obvious, the deal in Arizona, but not if you allow yourself to be smokescreened by the 1% rule. That rule sounds wise, and it's not bad as part of a collection of good valuation criteria, but so many people select rental property purely on the basis of that rule, and as you've seen, that rule as a primary guideline can easily net you far less money in your pocket than other deals with lower income but substantially lower expenses. And none of this even touches on the one factor where there's real risk to your cash flow, legal compliance. In some states, landlords have strong rights, and it's fairly inexpensive to do business in those states. In other states, tenants have strong rights, and it's costly and dangerous to be a landlord in those states. And where legal compliance is concerned, your costs can go from nothing at all to tens of thousands of dollars with just one bad tenant. States like Massachusetts and New York come to mind. My friends, I simply want you to factor in everything that matters. Don't be beguiled by smoke screens like the 1% rule. Repeat after me, the only thing that matters is the bottom line. We're done for today, my friends. May I ask a favor of you? It would be so helpful to me if you'd go over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating for this show, but only if you think we deserve it. Truly, I'd be so grateful to you. It helps so much. Thank you. My friends, invest wisely today and live well forever. Thank you for listening to Self-Directed Investor Radio with Brian Ellis. Don't miss a single episode. Be sure to subscribe to Self-Directed Investor Radio right now on iTunes, on Stitcher, and at sdiradio.com. Your feedback is always welcomed via email at feedback at sdiradio.com. 
This show is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as legal or professional advice for your situation. Content is the property of the Self-Directed Investor Society. 